There's nothing better than when that group of people believe in something. Nobody can stop you. And it's that that gets you through and, and you can see it's, you know, what you sort of want to do at the end. And to go out and play gigs with your friends and stuff. I think it's hard for solo artists, they don't get that sort of vibe, but being in a band is just all. Yeah, I think that one of our fundamentals is the, our relationship with each other. The fact that we get on, you know, that if it wasn't for that then, you know, I couldn't imagine being in a band that weren't genuinely friends. Welcome to the second episode of the Back in the Band podcast, a show where we remember a simpler time in our lives, when music and being in a band back in the day meant you could actually dream of one day living the life of a rock and roll star. But here we are where the reality is, for us, that this podcast is about as edgy as we get these days. Like the last episode, we'll be asking today's guest about the hoodies they wore, the gigs that they saw, the songs that they learned, and the money that they burned, the music they made, their dreams of getting laid, their first MP3s, the printed and ripped CDs, the strings that they snapped, and the bands that they clapped. And what you just heard at the beginning of this episode was McFly talking about being in a band. And those guys make an incredibly surprising appearance in our chat today. So in a world where we don't need to say sorry to our dad when the phone bill comes in, because we spent £60 this month on internet dial-up connection alone, let's get into it. Lee, here we are, episode two. Can't quite wow. believe that we're here recording episode two after a, a full 52 plays on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Can you believe it? The PR has been insane, honestly. In my product team at work, there's been at least three people mention this in the last two weeks. So it's, it's been pretty hardcore. Yeah, definitely nice to have a bigger audience than when we were playing Papa Roach covers at the age of 15. Yeah, this is the pinnacle of it, really. This is the real reason we did the, that stuff now, just so we could riff about it in a, in a podcast. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. It was great hearing about Will's Scout Hut admissions in a roundabout way. So, yeah, I was going to say, the last episode was super fun. I'm still getting over those Scout Hut admissions, to be honest. And it got me thinking a bit, Stu, about our days back in our rehearsal studio, if you will, which was John's mum's shed, should I say. It was a soundproof shed, but it was like the best place in the world. I was like super excited to go there all the time. I don't know what your memories of it are, mate, but it really took me back a little bit, actually. It was great. We put a lot of time into that little shed, painted it blue, covered the, all of the <laughs> I walls. About that. <laughs> yeah. Covered all of the walls in Limp Biscuit, Lincoln Park, and Kelly Brook posters. We left beer in the fridge for what was probably years on end, which meant that they got mouldy and disgusting. Couldn't ask for more, really. I swear we had a mixing desk in there, just like a random just mixing desk that was not plugged into anything. No cables, just a mixing desk on the side. It was a little Tascam four-track tape recorder, which we stole from, sorry, we, I, stole from the store cupboard in high school and never took back. We had every intention of doing some recording, but never did because we didn't have any decent songs, so it would have been pointless to record, really. My God, I remember the best memory I had of it, though. I don't know why I always remembered it. It was just some of the times we were rehearsing in there, and we thought it was super edgy just to turn the lights out and play some covers. And genuinely, it was actually really cool and fun. Just banging the lights down, (laughs) slamming out some Limp Biscuit break stuff, four sweaty men in a room, and just having the time of our lives, mate. And then going back to our house for a cottage pie or something after the rock and totally. roll. Well, that was 20 years ago. And here we are today with the second episode of the Back in the Band podcast. Before we get into the chat with our new guest on this episode, just to remind our listeners that we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're going to do some merch soon. So if you want any last minute mugs for your mum, then give us a shout and we'll send some out. Yeah, we can't promise we'll deliver them in time for New Year, but we're definitely getting the merch going soon, Stu. Party, so 
So our second guest is none other than Ollie Saunders, a guy who needs no introduction, but we're going to have to do it anyway. I thought it'd just be worth telling our listeners a little bit about how we know Ollie and how we're still in contact, really. And I'll note this down that we're pretty much only still in contact, Ollie, through our love of similar music genres, really. A love of very cheesy pop punk, sending each other the odd track here and there of just complete cheese that we're too old to listen to. We've shared some late nights dancing like idiots at Glastonbury Festival under the crane. We've been in a few pits together. I remember Funeral for a Friend and Newfound Glory stood out for me, but I'm sure there's many more to come as well. So uh, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, Ali. How are you? Hi, good, thank you, yes. So we said in the intro we'd find out about the uh, hoodies that we wore. I'm going to start first question for you, mate. What hoodie did you wear back in the band days? I don't think I had hoodie. I had t-shirts. We went to Sum 41 at Ali Pali only about a month ago, supported by Simple Plan, no less. And I wore my Reading 2004 t-shirt still fits me it's a bit tight <laughs> but it honestly i've still got it a busted one present for everyone that a girl oh, nice. who fancied me went to the tour and bought it for me yeah and then i threw that away had a clear out i'm actually annoyed about that, that <laughs> i got rid of that and on that 2004 lineup is mental that's crazy look at that yeah. lineup look at that you go back on it people coming up to me and going was that real it's insane and i remember one of my friends said, the lineup shit, I'm not coming. And I brought this, he came, he came to Sum 41 and he was there, John Opie, who will feature today. He was looking at the lineup and going, I said that was shit in 2004. I'm an idiot. And I'm like, yeah, you are. Because it was one of yeah, the best is. fucking weekends. Still, and I was 16, it's still one of the best weekends of my whole life. What an introduction. Yeah, so you're a pop punk head, right? So does that mean that your history of being in bands at school, was that your vibe then? Or was it more of sort of ropey death metal? Mm-hmm. The mixture and actually like the bands, I don't have a one band. I would be in different bands. So no, uh, no, it was pop punk all the way, really. But we had a grunge phase. Man. We were like Nirvana, Foo Fighters, like a lot of actually the stuff we were playing in the friends' parents' living room was Nirvana, Foo Fighters, and I guess, and then metal as well. So did you start with pop punk? Tell us about your very first band, how old you were and how that happened. I was nine, I went to guitar, acoustic guitar lessons, and he was amazing. This guy, Andy Reid, taught me acoustic guitar, which was an amazing bass introduction to playing guitar. Loads of people went straight to electric, so they couldn't play like an open G chord. And because I spent a few years doing this acoustic stuff, that set me up much better. I thought, I always say to people, learn on the acoustic before you do electric. And he was great. He like taught me all the open chords, right? And the strumming patterns, like proper one and two, and it, up was always and he'd write one and two whatever it was and Wonderwall was a good one for that doing that strumming pattern and obviously this is like the late 90s so Oasis was massive but he was more of a Christian acoustic rock guy so he didn't really teach sometimes I'd be like come on do all the small things and he'd have to pretend he knew it or like, oh, yeah. listen to it and make it up so then <laughs> so he had a recording studio he had a band it's called Charlie's Band C- Christian Rock I could actually sing a bit to you if you want but maybe later. <laughs> save that for the and, outro uh, maybe it was, yeah, like, I, I will believe in Jesus. It's like, literally, like, like, that is how it went. I'm, <laughs> wow. I'm not joking, yeah. Anyway, and then after a while, like, I was getting really into, like, rock. And obviously at that age, it's so much cooler. And he was like, look, I'm going to get you to go to someone else. So I went to this guy, Phil, this guy. Imagine Dave Mustaine or, I don't know, Kirk Hammett. Complete wannabe of one of those, like, trucker hat, long white hair, like, almost down to his ass tight ripped jeans <laughs> i remember i just walked in it's quite daunting and i just walked in like with all my acoustic backgrounds 
And at this time, I, re I remember it like it was yesterday. I said to him, he said, oh, what do you want to learn? I said a, a couple of really cheesy pop punk bands, but one of them I remember saying was Goldfinger. Did you like Goldfinger? Yeah. I used to love like Superman and you know, all those. Such a tune. I don't know, even know why he asked me what I want to learn, because when I said all those bands, he just looked at me blankly and he was just like, yeah, we're going to learn Megadeth and Metallica. And that's it. <laughs> You'll learn how to shred, boy. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, honestly, I'm so glad he did, because all that pop-punk stuff, you can teach yourself or learn with your mates or whatever, but he taught me proper palm muting. Some of the songs that he taught me, like I would never have wanted to learn, but I grew this appreciation for metal, basically, learn how to, and it's so fun to play when you can play it. So that, did yeah. you then convert your the bands you were in and starting to build? Were you the minute you started learning stuff like that? Did you say, "Well, fuck playing the acoustic. I'm going to now play some Deftones." No, I think I still stayed in the pop punk. We did do some, and, like, and obviously with Nirvana, like so. Yeah, the Montanas, right, which was the band that we had for a bit, was more grungy and more like indie grungy kind of thing. And that was with one group of friends. And then and tell us mainly, where the Montanas. Where did they practice? In Paul Airy's living room Sweet. in uh, Kingsworthy. Were, were his parents room. still in the living room at the time? Or just no, they out? timed it well to be out of the house when we were playing. <laughs> but was that, it's, they knew that? You didn't sort of like, well, shit, they were off to church for a couple of hours on a Sunday, let's do that now, and then come back no, and No, no, I think they'd pick us up. You know, it's a proper rock and roll, wasn't it, when your mum picks you up. It's classic, yep. isn't it? It's such a juxtaposition. And we were playing like the Nirvana stuff. I swear Nirvana have some tracks that are just deliberately shit, just because. Just noise, <laughs> and we were playing yeah. some... Uh, so kids can learn. Oh, yeah. like, breed? Oh, I was listening yeah. to him, I was like, oh... But this guy, the guy who came up with the Montanas, he, the name, was obsessed with that type of music and he's obsessed with Scarface and the main character is Tony Montana. And uh, again, it was another one of those, you like you said in the other one, where people spend more time thinking of band names and song names than they do actually writing music. And did the Montanas just play covers or did you guys start writing stuff or was that a bit later? I'm like, Will, one day you'll get someone who actually wrote stuff. Like <laughs> me, I don't know who that would be, but we, yeah, we covered Nirvana, Metallica and then some pop punk. And then you've just been in bands until Forevermore or? Yeah, and then I'd mix around and then the pinnacle was year 11, a concert every year in the sports hall. Amazing. And it's our school is called Henry Beaufort. The festival, the concert was called Bowstock. And uh, I played three songs at that. And this is really is the pinnacle, but I'll never forget it yet. I played three songs. So we did Green Day Time of Your Life to open. I sat down on the amp. It's so bizarre, you know, oh, it's an yeah, acoustic nice. song. And it was kind of chilled. And then the rest of the band kicked in with Five Colours by McFly. And Amazing. There were people crowd surfing. But it was kicking it was, off. It, <laughs> I'm surprised you had enough people to crowd surf. We never no, that many It's people. like the whole school, man. It's, it was honestly, it was insane. And maybe I'm misremembering. I don't know people who listen to this from school are probably like, you're having a laugh, mate. But I remember <laughs> Dave Oram floating on top of the crowd. And I'm just there. And I just thought, what the hell? This is incredible. Like, I just wasn't expecting it to be actually like good. It must have felt good. Did you get that buzz from being on stage, you know, in the early days, you know? Yeah, I, it was quite new to me because I didn't really do that. We always just played in the living room. All of a sudden, I was playing to like, it must have been, I don't know, it must have been at least 500 people. It's like the whole school. And That's I don't know good. how big that school is. Yeah, it was insane. And then, the th and then the th we played another song, Jimmy World, The Middle, with a different band. Brilliant track. And there's a good story about this. Don't tell me you did it in your underwear like the video. You did not. That would have been better than what we had planned because <laughs> we, the song we were going to do was Last Train Home by them oh, who dear. shall not be named, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And luckily, 
we just couldn't get it to sound good. So we changed to the middle by Jimmy Eat World. It's so much more straightforward and it sounded so tight. And yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. So Sounds good, go. mate. What was it? Five, 500 people at Bostock. That's pretty decent numbers. Ours doesn't even compare, mate, to what we did in our year 11 gig in school, does it? For a start, we charged everyone a quid. We called it The Gig. That was it. And we were the only band on, I think. Maybe there was one other person on acoustic before or something. And I remember just a line of people at the front, maybe just one one row, standing right at the front of the stage, and our parents at the back, just right at the back as well, like nowhere near. Of, that's a, that's a, a mosh pits. big gap. <laughs> was your nan at that gig, did you say the other I'm day? I'm pretty sure she was. And I just definitely tried not to make eye contact with her, like... I knew it wasn't going to be well received. She was, what were you she's playing? A, she's a corn stained one song of our own, maybe two. We will add them to the uh, playlist one day, won't we? Stu, the Back uh, in the yeah, Bad playlist. Get them on the stream. Yeah. Yeah. Stained corn, Limp Biscuit. Maybe Incubus. I think we did Nice to Know You. Yeah. It's good. Well, Lee, Lee had some spiky hair at the time. Just happy to have it, <laughs> weren't you, mate? And then actually, that brings me into the next question. Did you have a really low moment? Did you have a gig that no one turned up to or a practice that you just ended up arguing over band names or something? Oh, my God. Um, I don't think so. I remember, Stu, we had a bit of a, we had some moments. I remember a couple of tricky moments with Ryan being quite difficult. I remember a couple of times we were like, right, we need to rehearse, probably for that gig that we just talked about. It was, you know, the pinnacle of all our work. Remember him just being like, I can't come to rehearsals, I'm busy. And we're like, you're not taking this seriously. Like, this is, <laughs> we had a big argument about it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but he was like, I've got to work for £3.20 oh, an it. hour. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And we were like, no, this is more important. But actually, no, actually, looking back, you should have just gone to work, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Your video shop rental career was much more aspiring than our gig. Yeah. 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 Was it, do you think, obviously, sounds like Bowstock was a hit. Do you think you were more popular in school because you were in a band? Did you find your social standing was different because of that? Maybe. I was like in the middle. I wasn't the lead, but I wasn't really cool. That type of music wasn't really, it was popular, but it wasn't in the charts all the time. So all the girls I fancied didn't like pop punk. They liked, I don't know, J-Lo and stuff. And when there was a pop punk song in the charts, I always remember feeling like, yes, popular people like this music. I don't know if it was the same for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like, if you covered Evanescence, suddenly everyone thinks you're (laughs) sick. If you weren't playing (laughs) Linkin Park one step closer, they're not interested. When and why did you give it all up then? I know you still dabble in a bit of guitar. I've seen you outside the cinema playing David Brent songs when we went to see Life on the Road, entertaining the hundreds of people outside that. When did it all, when did you stop and say, oh, I'm not going to be in a band? Or did you never really think it was going to be something you were going to kick off and do? I never, I don't think I, I never thought I'm going to be in a band like when I'm older. I didn't have the kind of disappointment of when I finally packed it in and went, oh, I'm not doing this anymore. No, and I never had the expectations. Then I got to uni and I got into piano and musical theatre and acoustic. I remember being in front of a fellow student. Looking back, it's quite embarrassing, I think. Like dashboard confessional, like really emotional music. Finch, Letters to You, acoustic version, like really like slow. Oh, God. (laughs) Like just what I thought was good. So I just played it and what I thought sounded good, but not really the vibe Wednesday night in the Lemmy and Exeter Uni. Like, people don't really want to hear Letters Definitely to you. just doing it for the girls yeah. as well, though. Back of your mind. Just thinking about girls yeah, might like this. Maybe. I'm a sensitive guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I, looking yeah, back then, man, you were looking, you were saying it, looking back, you were kind of like, oh, geez, mate, really? What would you, if you could give a young Ollie a bit of advice, what would you say to him? Turned out all right for me. I never really wanted to be in a famous band. This is going to sound cheesy, but if you just play something, practice something for a night, 
you will get good at it. And I took up piano as 19. I sound good. I'm not good, but like I can play the piano. I would say play what you love and then it won't feel like a chore and you'll just want to practice and then you'll get good. With piano, I was doing like eight hours a day, but not because I wanted to get good, just because I loved it. And after eight hours a day for a few years, you just become, you know, I guess my advice to myself would be like, that's what I did. <laughs> I don't know if I would, I never would say, oh, you should have done this differently because then you would have been in a famous band because, uh, yeah, that's... I think it's good that yeah. you didn't have that aspiration. Like, I had that. Yeah, like, really, yeah. Ridiculously had it until yeah. I was about 20, 21 and got into like final year of uni and then it got to a point like we had a van that took a lot of money out of already non-existent bank accounts and like it was just like, I can't do this anymore. And yeah, I actually had a moment I was like, I'm done. I'm done pretending like I'm going to be famous. I have to realize that's not going to happen. And then just became mm. a producer and made other people sound equally as bad as I sounded. So <laughs> I think it's good advice though, Ollie, because I think that's the thing I didn't have. Ollie, I, I fell out of love with it as I was turning 17, 18, just playing guitar in general. I just played it very casually and that is not enough to get good. Do you know what I mean? I just didn't have the patience and the kind of will to carry on. And I wasn't doing those five, six hour sessions in the room because I wasn't enjoying it. I was like, I just didn't feel progress. You know, if I was asking that question to myself, I'd be like, get a proper teacher for God's sake. Like, I should have done that much earlier in my life, I think. Good direction is good. I, obviously, if you practice eight hours a day badly or wrong, you'll obviously be shit. Yeah, you but need like direction. The, yeah. You need some direction. But I remember that with piano, it was like really an app aha moment because with piano you can almost sound like you're in a band if you have a singer you've got you've essentially got two instruments you've got two hands right like it just sounds it can sound incredible with a good singer and you can just be shit at piano and i had this girl who was singing with me and she was just amazing so all i was doing was like basic chords but it just sounded great and i was like this yeah. is brilliant i want to get better so that we're even better and it, and that sort of inspired me to just practice it like we were saying earlier though a little bit like bands like nirvana they're quite simple and it's, it's i don't know i'm guessing they were absolutely fantastic musicians as well but a lot of the music they wrote just ended up being very simple and effective didn't it like you didn't have to be like shredding hard like they're quite simple tunes but i guess that's just yeah. good songwriting isn't it good like instincts and stuff i always say about any songs like if it's a good melody it doesn't have to be complicated like not, but I never wrote, but I just love good songs. That's why I like, like musical theatre. Like a lot for me, a lot of parallels with pop punk because you're telling a story with pop punk. It's not as obviously a story like in musical theatre where they're actually telling you like what's going on. They're having conversations, obviously, but still a similar theme where you like deliver a story with good melodies, good chorus, or whatever. That definitely, and that's why like Green Day, American Idiot is a really successful show in my opinion because like it's taking that storytelling from pop punk and applying it to theatre and I just think that's what I love and a lot of Green Day songs are not complicated but they're amazing. Couldn't agree more. So time now for our next feature that we call My Napster. This is where we ask our guests to contribute a track to our new playlist that meant a lot to them when they were in a band and ask why it was so important to them. So Ollie, we're going to ask you for your song. Tell us how you listened to that song. Where did you buy it? What's the strongest memory around that song? And as we said before in the last episode, we're going to create a back in the band playlist on Spotify for season one to share with you all. So Ollie, tell us a song. What are you going to give us today? Jimmy World, The Middle. Lovely. Tell us about that song. You mentioned it earlier, but... I just remember the music video, Hearty, 
American Pie style. Do you remember? Like with them, and then they all got in their pants. Yeah, I don't know what the, the meaning of that was. Yeah, I remember it jumps in the pool and like you can hear it as they're underwater. And then they come back out and, oh, it's amazing. And then the way I, for the rest of the band, because we'd given up on the other song. And for some reason, we're like, it has to be in drop D still. What's in drop D? Why? Why? (laughs) Yeah, Um, Yeah, because you can't simply imagine retuning just before the song. Well, we have to tune down from McFly to it, don't we? So we'll tune back up. (laughs) I don't know why that's a thing. So anyway, we had to be drop D. So I found the middle and someone had a copy of Total Guitar, was it? And it used to come with a CD. Yeah. And I just decided, well, I'm going to do this bit, you're going to do this bit, but really tight, like exactly how it was. However, the one problem was the solo, the solo in that's absolutely kick ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, pretty good. Um, the lead guitarist, uh, you'll see the photo, Simon Osman, he'd only been playing about six months and he was like proper metal. If you see the photo, and um, I was like, obviously, I'm taking the solo. I've been playing probably six or seven years. And at that age, that is like a long time. We were like, playing the first time through and it got to the solo and he just started playing the solo smashed it perfectly don't even play it. <laughs> absolutely destroyed it i obviously as i when i realized i just played the rhythm part and everyone went wow simon that was brilliant and i was like okay i'll just do the rhythm then but i'll never forget with that song the detail that i went into to make it perfect using this total guitar i'm so glad you reminded me of total guitar yeah. i never bought it but i remember just being fascinated by it. that cd that like you say that came with it and just yeah just... i never bought it someone had it and i was like drop d perfect and uh, yeah it, and it's such honestly like that if you make a top 10 pop punk banger track playlist surely I think most people would put that on there somewhere. It's a worthy addition. It's like one of their best pop punk songs. Yeah, classic. Good choice. So to finish up, as we always will on every episode, we're going to put a would you rather to Ollie to really get into his musical mind. So Ollie, listen carefully. This is a good one. Tailored this one to you and your needs. And we're going to try and give you a tough decision. Would you rather do a UK summer pub tour playing guitar in a David Brent song covers band or go to the When We Were Young Punk Festival in Vegas, but you're not allowed to go in the pit? And just to remind you of the lineup there, (laughs) Green Day, Blink, Offspring, Good Charlotte, Yellow Card, Sun 41, Newfound Glory. Every single pop punk band is playing at that festival, but you're not allowed in the pit. Or you could do the summer tour with a David Brent song covers band what are you going okay. for and why? First of all, that's a fake lineup. How have they <laughs> it's even? It's ridiculous, isn't it? What on earth is that about? Second of all, how do they enforce the pit thing? Or is that. <laughs> it's just, I'm just a rule, Ollie. It's just a rule. Okay. Everyone's blocking you off. Yeah. Good, luck, good, luck, get, good luck stopping me, mate. Anyway, <laughs> so you've got to sit at the back of the highest seat possible <laughs> and you cannot move. We, no, me and John Opie did that. Brixton Academy seated the offspring. <laughs> And he still maintains it was amazing. And on the cell, sitting down for the offspring, God. I did that for Deftones the other day. It was horrendous. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. But uh, it's it's obviously still better than not going, I guess. But um, is the David Brent thing paid? (laughs) Yeah, but it's 50 quid a night and you're doing like four nights a week. You're doing sort of Thursday through to Sunday, 50 quid a night. You might get like a meal as well, like a hot meal or something, if you're lucky. That is a lot, isn't it? I've seen all those bands at the Vegas thing. The David Brent tour would be weird. I don't know how you life on the road, baby. I think I'd go for that one. (laughs) I I still thought you'd go for the when we were young. 
But you're right, we've seen a lot of those fans already. And they're just not going in the pit. It's just too much for you. <laughs> we could go to when we were young if you want, mate. Maybe not. You've got kids or whatever, but... It's, it's, oh it's sold out, mate. It's sold out in about three minutes because uh, cool it it's ridiculous. Yeah, Summer Pugsaw playing guitar in a David Brent song covers band. A great choice. And actually something I could obviously see you doing, mate. Yeah. Ollie's gig at eight, karaoke at 9.30, but drinks at six. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Ollie Saunders, and that brings us to the end of our second episode of the Back in the Band podcast. Lee, what were your highlights in this one? Honestly, I love Ollie. I love hearing his stories. But hearing him talk about Bowstock at Henry Beaufort High School was awesome. It actually sounded like a proper gig, didn't it? It was like, I felt like I was there. Imagine him just rocking up on his amp playing Time of Your Life. That's pretty much the reason we did this podcast, right? We want to find out these tall tales and get into the details. I really like the detail. It's really important to me that he was sitting on that amp. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny you think about that. Like, I remember when we like used to put an acoustic cover in the middle and it'd be like, yeah, sit down on an amp and that'll really get mellow and people will chill out and then we can bring yeah. the energy back up. You really overthink. It's like Aaron actually. Lewis and Fred Durst and for outside, wasn't it? Sit on the amp, get all emo at Woodstock. Deep. Cool. So that's a wrap on the second episode of the Back in the Band podcast. Once again, please rate this five stars on your podcast players. We'd really appreciate it. And as a way of saying thanks, Lee will give you his personal AOL messenger ID because he wants to chat with you online. It's just about Christmas time right now. So we hope you all have a lovely break and use the time off to learn some drop D covers of White Christmas. And with a bit of luck, you may even get that brand new Limp Biscuit hoodie from your mum in your stocking this year. We look forward to the next episode and hearing what it was like to be in a band in the late 90s and how music and technology back in the day really shaped us as people. Massive thanks to Ollie for being on the pod today. And if you know us and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, just drop us a line and we'll have you on next week as we've already run out of friends, obviously. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye.